The Asiatic Exclusion League successfully used, uh, you know, uh, certain events uh, when uh, uh, to rabble rouse white laborers that your jobs are being threatened. Uh, these union mm -hmm. workers got together to, and they, they created violence against these Indians. Uh, they had lots of media support uh, in favor. Mm -hmm. And finally, they lobbied the United States government and passed a law that says that people from certain countries are excluded from coming to the United States. Yeah, it's succeeded. as blatant as that. And when, when we look at it, 1917, uh, uh, this, uh, this discussion we are recording in 2017, so that is exactly 100 years ago That's is exactly. when this happened. Right. Now, nobody celebrated the 100th anniversary to kind of condemn this. No, there's no consciousness today that these things happened. Yeah. Now, had there been an anniversary of the Holocaust or anniversary of some other horrible thing, 9-11, there would be a lot of uh, media coverage that 100 years ago, this is how a horrible thing happened. Mm -hmm. But nobody even knows about that this happened exactly 100 years ago. Nobody knows and that's why uh, your show is important. It's interesting what we've discussed so far is very fascinating. Uh, how the early Indians come, what all they go through, they are hard working, there are stereotypes against them, some of the same stereotypes you find today. Uh, uh, you know, and the American uh, civic society is prejudiced against these people of color, uh, partly because they are British subjects and the British have uh, stereotyped them and the same stereotypes transfer across the Atlantic to USA and leading media people are talking this way, very racist kind of a thing. We've seen all that now. Now what happens is people want to legalize the bans. You know, are we going to tell you an interesting story similar to this sort of Muslim ban today discussion. There was this Hindu ban discussion a hundred years ago. That's huh? right. right. Uh, <laughs> that's really what it is. Yes. Uh, We're kind of seeing history repeat itself. Yeah. So uh, before uh, talking about the ban on these Hindus, which became legalized, there was this exclusion act, act in the U.S. government, uh, U.S. Congress. Uh, before we talk about all that, uh, let's refresh our memory on what happened. There's a Chinese act, the Chinese exclusion act to get rid of Chinese people already in the late uh, 19th century. Uh, so I'm going to show you a little clip on the Chinese Exclusion Act. Let's watch. Chinese immigrants began flooding into the United States in the 1850s, attracted by opportunities in the American West. They were escaping poverty and unrest in China and filling jobs in the new American mining and railroad industries. And they were considered to be very pliable labor, very inexpensive labor, uh, labor that would work no matter what the circumstances were, no matter what, how dangerous um, it was. Within 30 years, about 200,000 Chinese had settled in the U.S. But by the 1870s, a backlash against them had grown large and violent. They faced a lot of discrimination, a lot of uh, racial intolerance because they were seen as working for lower wages, taking jobs at a time when unemployment was 25, 30 percent in some communities. The Chinese become the scapegoat for American workers on the West Coast especially uh, for all the economic troubles. The railroad companies turned against Chinese workers after they began to organize for better pay and a shorter workday. 
In 1867, when 5,000 Chinese Central Pacific Railroad workers went on strike, the company simply cut off their food supplies until the starving workers agreed to return to work one week later. And so there's the throw the Chinese out uh, movement. Um, labor unions line up with it. The American Workingmen's Party is founded principally on this issue. And they pressure Congress. And Congress eventually agrees to pass its first immigration restriction law in 1882, explicitly targeting Chinese immigrants as undesirables. The Chinese Exclusion Act banned Chinese laborers from immigrating to the United States for 10 years. It also prevented the Chinese already in the U.S. from becoming citizens. Congress renewed the law in 1892 and made it permanent in 1902. It was not until 1943 that the act was repealed, allowing Chinese immigration and granting citizenship to Chinese nationals already residing in the country. But by then, many once thriving Chinese communities in the U.S. had nearly disappeared. So this uh, clip showed you what exactly happened, the Chinese got excluded and so on, but it didn't stop there. Here's a poster wanting to ban Japanese and Co Koreans. So the, the, what happened to the Chinese now extending to other East Asian? That's right, Rajiv. So, um, you know, the labor, um, European labor, uh, got together, tried to organize and extend the Chinese Exclusion Act to initially to the Japanese and to the Koreans, and then eventually to all Asians. So they started something called the Japanese and Korean uh, Exclusion League. It was renamed the Asiatic Exclusion League a year later in 1907. It was a collection of labor unions in, uh, in the country trying to organize and then uh, rally public support as well as influence politicians. This next one shows there's this big earthquake in San Francisco, yes. which creates a lot of fires. So we see some pictures and some newspaper headlines here. And this gives fuel to the xenophobia, mm -hmm. because even though it's nothing to do with Indians or Asians or any of that, the, the white supremacists of that time use it as an argument to kick out these fellows, these Asian people. Yes. So the 1906 Great Earthquake of San Francisco, which destroyed practically 80% of the city, there were a lot of fires. Basically, the city had to be rebuilt. Um, and um, the European labor unions were worried that this would attract a new wave of immigrants. People needed to build the cities, and they were generally referred to by the labor unions as coolies, a term that we know was also used by the, the British Brit yes. in India, right. referring to Indian labor. But it was a term that was used widely, even in Asia, by the British to refer to Asian labor. Now, here's a very interesting, uh, this is a leader, uh, Olaf Tweitmore, uh, who is the general secretary of uh, some labor union. So yeah. now the trade unions, the labor unions, the white labor unions want to get into the act and uh, exclude Hindus. So, so tell, tell us uh, some of the... Uh, article quotes uh, the, some of the media coverage about this guy, what he stands for. Olaf uh, Twitemore was basically, um, he was the editor of uh, the, the official organ of the, the journal of the labor unions called Organized Labor. And he essentially said very clearly that, you know, uh, the earthquake would attract a new wave of Asian immigrants. This is 
just after slavery has been abolished in the late 1800s yeah. and the civil war has been won and slavery is abolished. So uh, this is in the backdrop of, white, of blacks who are freed from slavery yeah. wanting to take jobs in the, in the industrial northeast. Yeah. Uh, and then there is a, back, there's a period called the, the reconstruction during which uh, there's a blacks are welcome and all that. One black becomes a senator also. But that's short-lived because there's a backlash. Right. There's a whole pushback from whites that, okay, you are no longer slaves, that's okay, but you can't take our jobs. So that's the enactment of all kind of uh, exclusions of blacks from white unions. The Jim Crow laws. Yes. yes. So we should, we should put that, this is in the context of that, because this is after, first, the blacks are already in the country, you can't yeah. kick them out. Yeah. Okay, they've been around for a long time and they're freed slaves. So now they, how to keep them out of the job market so that the whites are not threatened, there is one methodology, which mm -hmm. is the Jim Crow and all those kind of things. But as far as Asians are concerned, the fear of the white supremacists is that they will also come in and they'll take our jobs. So now in their case, we better exclude them from coming. Yeah. So I think this is, this is the other half of the story. Uh, people talk about the Jim Crow and what happened to the blacks after slavery was abolished. Yes. But we need to bring the Asian side of the story also. Yeah. That's, this is the Asian side of the story. This guy says, San Francisco with its wonderful wages will be exploited before the ignorant coolies until they will come in ships, shiploads like an endless swarm of rats. As long as California is white man's country, it will remain one of the grandest and best states in the Union. But the moment the Golden State is subjected to an unlimited Asiatic coolie invasion, there will be no more California. <laughs> so it's interesting you look at that and a hundred years later today, uh, California is the most prosperous state in the Union. And also very diverse. And, and, and a very diverse and yeah. uh, the white population is one of the lowest in terms of percentage. This gentleman pioneers with the help of labor unions and so on, the Asiatic Exclusion League. They start by saying protest against the continuation of Asiatic immigration upon the exalted grounds of American patriotism mm -hmm. for the following reasons. Mm -hmm. And he gives five reasons. Yes. So let's, let's put him on the, each one, one on the screen and uh, let's summarize what these five reasons are why Asians must be excluded by law from entering the United States. So uh, we don't have to analyze this very deeply. We can just take them at their word, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So point number one, why are Asians not welcome? Because they would be ignorant of our sentiments of nativity and patriotism and utterly unfit and incapable of discharging the duties of American citizenship. Second one. That the introduction of this incongruous and non-assimilable element into our national life will inevitably impair and degrade, if not effectively destroy our cherished institutions and our American life. Okay, the third one is interesting. That these Asiatics are alien to our ideals of patriotism, morality, loyalty and the highest conception of Christian civilization. It's right. very clear. Very clear. Very clear. There's no. <laughs> you not cannot, beating around no the bush. No missing words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. clear. Okay. Their presence here is a degrading and contaminating influence to the best phases of American life. And you know, when you look at the history of white supremacy, uh, which has been written very 
thoroughly by whites, liberal whites writing all this. Yes, you know, I know. Mm -hmm. self, self critical, which is admirable. Uh, you will find this whole business about God has made us pure and this intermarriage is bad and this whole business of polluting, the whole idea of polluting the DNA of others coming in and even their physical presence, they're polluting our air. You know, there is a whole, that the white supremacists today are really big on that, very big on this. The ultimate in ethnic cleansing is what they are seeking. Right, absolutely. Uh, number five. Their low standard of living, their immoral surroundings and cheap labor, they constitute a formidable and fierce competition against our American system, the pride and glory of our civilization. And unless, when they talk about our, the pride and glory of our civilization, they mean Europe. of Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon Christian. Anglo-Saxon Christians, exactly. And unless prohibited by effective legislation, will result in the irreparable deterioration of American labor. So there you have it quite clear. So now, now it's interesting how some media build up a frenzy that results in violence. That's right. It's very interesting. So right now on the, on the screen, uh, we have this article mm -hmm. from Washington, in a newspaper in Washington that's sort of rabble-rousing. Yeah. So tell us about this. So the, the title of the article, Have We a Dusky Peril? And the phrase dusky peril was used thereafter to refer to Indians, Indian immigrants. And it, it's a take on the phrase yellow peril, which is what, uh, how the Chinese and the Japanese were referred to, uh, also by media at, at the time. So uh, the Indians were the dusky peril, and, and the article simply asked straightforwardly, have we a dusky peril? We're talking at this time, at this point, 1907, a maximum of 5,000 Indians in all of the United States. And what a big uh, threat they posed. Yes, and, and wow. this again is something that was pretty remarkable. Yeah. That the numbers that we were talking about were really, really minuscule. And there, there is no documented crime from them. It's not yes. like they were criminals. No. It's not like they were some hoodlums and some people doing all kinds of things. There was no allegation of that sort. It's just that they are dirty people and they are uncivilized. It's more like a character assassination. Yes. So here in the article it says, they, in quotes, American workers, uh -huh. unquote, by which they really mean white American workers, argue that the presence of several scores of hundreds of Hindus, several scores of hun or hundreds of Hindus, will act as a break on the city's progress. Yeah. Okay, so there's no concrete allegation of what you've done wrong. It's just that you break progress, whatever that means. They don't like them. It's clear. Today, today sometimes I'm attacked on something that they can't pin down anything specific I've done. Yeah. But like you are, uh, you know, Hindu chauvinist. But what have I said? Yeah. Or you're attacking the great scholars, but tell me what I did. And they have no answer to that. But this sort of a sweeping generalization is a very old tradition. Very old, you can see it here. Absolutely. And then this business of uh, they live cheaply and save their earnings to return to India. But the Europeans were doing that all the time. And, and you know, they, were, they had good financial habits, you know. That's a good thing. It was a positive. Um, one writer to the, uh, to the editor writes, I keep the Hindus out. I consider their advent to this country very undesirable. Their code of morals is bad uh, and they will eventually become troublesome. So there's a combination of things going on. 
There's certainly resentment by labor because they don't want the competition. They think it will drive down wages and they don't want the competition. And here's a group of people who possibly are willing to work harder, longer, and live more frugally. And uh, that which would be a positive to describe almost anyone else is a negative for this group. So the interesting thing is that this has become so rare in history textbooks. This whole incident is not described. But it's a very big deal because this goes on for a long time. The media keeps rabble-rousing in that town in Washington. Yeah. And uh, there is subsequent to this burst of negative hateful speech, uh, hate speech articles against Indians, there is riots, violence. So in this same town, which is a lumber town, yeah. riots break out in 1907, September 1907. 500 working class white men gather to drive the Indians out of the city. The riot began when the mob of white men chased and beat two Sikh workers on the street. They eventually went from house to house and mill to mill to drive the Indians out. That night, about 200 or so Indians were rounded up in the city hall. And eventually, in about 10 days, every single Indian had left the town, never to come back. So this is what's happened in that city as a consequence of the media rabble-rousing against them. Yes, the media certainly had a hand in, in creating the sentiment that resulted in these riots. And the uh, next uh, morning... After the riot, which is on September 4th, September 5th, the main newspaper of the town has a very big headline, Hindus hounded from city. The Hindu is not a good citizen. It would require centuries to assimilate him. And this country need not take that trouble. Our racial burdens are already heavy enough to bear. So you, this is like pretty tough stuff going on. And what is interesting is that no one was actually ever prosecuted. No one was ever prosecuted. Yeah. And in fact, the so-called liberal New York Times yeah. covers this story. Very mm -hmm. interesting. So let's look at that. It says, mob drives out Hindus. Race war in a Washington town follows alleged insults. Yeah. So it says, the long expected cry, drive out the Hindus, was heard throughout the city and along the waterfront last night. The police were helpless. All authority was paralyzed and for five hours a mob of half a thousand white men raided the mills where, if, where the foreigners were working, battered down doors of lodging houses and dragged the Asiatics from their beds, escorted them to the city limits uh, with orders to keep going. This is mainstream news. Yeah. And nobody was prosecuted. No one was prosecuted. A day later, the New York Times says, The city is quiet today. But there is a strong undercurrent of opinion which apparently approves the action of the members and it may be found impossible to prosecute the leaders. And they never were. Yeah, so the, the, the general public has approved of this action against the Indians. So the next thing to get into is how this lobbying against Hindus and this exclusion act and all of that, how that turned into actual law. Yeah. Because it's not just civic society, it's not just uh, some white supremacists and labor unions against them and not just media supporting them, rabble rousing and there's some riots here and there. But it becomes the law of the United States of America. How that happens, we're going to come to next. On the heels of the riots in Bellingham, uh, once all the Indians were 
pretty much driven out. Uh, the Asiatic Exclusion League and the members of the AEL got together and basically agreed um, that um, they wanted laws, oriental exclusion laws that covered all Asians. The Herald reported that, that the League is not working to incite the laboring men to the shirt sleeve method of expelling foreigners, but desires to have laws passed by the National Congress restricting immigration and what it considers a menace to American labor. So they were basically saying, well, we're not supportive of, of mob rule and mob behavior, but we really are in the business of getting Congress to pass legislation once right. and for all. And just to remove any doubt, because that was a, a newspaper article. Yes. But now Secretary Fowler, who mm -hmm. is a secretary of this Asiatic Exclusion League, yes. he says every Asiatic must be excluded and we are not going to quit till we get the whole cheese. The proper thing to do is to stop the immigration of these undesirables right now. Stop it and stop it for all times. That now that's the goal. The, there's the goal. Very clearly, Very clear. that's what they want yeah. to do. Do they succeed or fail? Yeah, and, and what is sad and what sort of impacted the history of Indians and Asians in America is that these kinds of efforts actually did succeed. And in 1917, Congress passed a law, an immigration law, one of several um, discriminatory laws um, that followed um, called the Asiatic Barred Zone Act. The Asiatic Barred, which means they've been barred, Barred Zone, Zone Act, Act of 1917. 17. Yeah. And that act essentially uh, stopped all Asians uh, other than some Japanese and Philippine, uh, people from Philippines. And if I understand correctly, they define the regions by latitude and longitude yes. on a map. Yes. So on the map, they said anyone in these regions, yes. geographical. So it's not about ethnicity, it's about geography. Whoever you are, if you come from there, you're not allowed. That's, That's really what it says. Yeah. And there are some harsh words in this act. It's called uh, all idiots, imbeciles, insane persons, professional beggars, contract laborers. So these are the, some, so the characteristics of all these folks. Right. And they are barred. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so contract laborers kind of was ref a reference to Indians as well. But yes, yeah, so the language again, you know, not politically correct, imbeciles, etc. Uh, the Asiatic Exclusion League successfully used, uh, you know, uh, certain events uh, when uh, 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 to rabble rouse white laborers that your jobs are being threatened, uh, these union mm -hmm. workers got together to and they, they created violence against these Indians. Uh, they had lots of media support uh, in favor. Mm -hmm. And finally, they lobbied the United States government and passed a law that says that people from certain countries are excluded from coming to the United States. Yeah, it's as blatant as that. And when, when we look at it, 1917, uh, uh, this, uh, this discussion we are recording in 2017, so that is exactly 100 years ago That's is when exactly. this happened. Right. Now, right. nobody celebrated the 100th anniversary to kind of condemn this. No, there's no consciousness today that these things happened. Yeah. Now, had there been an anniversary of the Holocaust or anniversary of some other horrible thing, 9-11, there would be a lot of uh, media coverage that 100 years ago, this is how a horrible thing happened. Mm -hmm. But nobody even knows about that this happened exactly 100 years ago. Nobody knows and that's why uh, your show is important and thank you for bringing me to be able to discuss these things. 100 years later, 
that same newspaper, which is now 2007, right yeah. now, recently. It's, it's still published as the Bellingham Herald. Yeah, it is published the same way. Yeah. They put out an editorial apologizing yes. for the way they covered the story 100 years back. Now, that's very interesting. I'm glad that they apologize, but now they realize that the Indians are very prosperous in that state. Uh, Indians are doing very well. I mean, they are not the same stereotypes that was anticipated. They are not the nuisance that they thought they would be. They are role model citizens in some ways. And so, it, there's, politically, there's pressure to be politically correct and apologize, and this newspaper apologizes. Now, Washington state is very diverse. There are a lot of Asians, a lot of uh, Latinos. Uh, actually, the Asian population in Washington is, is quite large. And it's also possible, I don't know how it came to be that they actually apologized. The apology is very interesting. It says, it's time to apologize for the venomous racism, yes. for the demeaning talk, for the refusal to defend human rights against a mob because of their skin tone and ethnicity. Human beings against a mob, yes. So, this is... This is Sincere apology. It is, And yeah. we, we accept the apology. But we, we would like that in future these sort of things not happen. We would hope but that one know, day the New York Times will do apologize. something similar. We would like the Washington Post and the New York Times yes. to apologize. And all the stereotyping on all, whether it's Fox, whether it's CNN, they're full of this kind of stuff. And, but my feeling, Rajiv, about this, why did they apologize and why did they try to distance themselves from this kind of coverage is because Indians in Washington state are sort of grouped together with other Asians. It's possible that in Washington state, Indians along with other ethnic groups were able to get something like this. I want to now talk about, you know, there's Ellis Island on the, on, the, on, the, on the East Coast. Europeans come this way. Yeah. Many millions of them. Millions. And there is Angel Island in mm -hmm. California on the West Coast. A smaller number come and they come from Asia. Yeah. With a slightly different history. Yes. Because while Ellis Island welcomes and it's celebrated as, you know, wow, you are the, you are the real Americans and you've arrived and we welcome you. It's the main port of entry. It's the main port of entry, but with a welcoming. It's a very positive part of our history. Yes. Angel Island is a detention center yeah. to keep those guys out. Correct. So let's talk about that a little bit. So the Angel Island immigration station was built on an island uh, in San Francisco Bay. And the goal was not to let people in, but in fact to detain them, interrogate them, and, and, and then have and deport them. Um, and it was essentially, the, it, they started building the center in 1905, uh, trying to kind of prevent the stragglers among the Chinese who were trying to make it in on some pretext or the other, and, and eventually Asians who were, uh, Indians who came in were also detained and in some cases deported. So there's a lot of history around Angel Island, primarily the Chinese who were detained there, but also Japanese and a smaller number of Indians as well. And um, the immigration station has, you know, poetry in Chinese all over the walls of the detention center written by the Chinese detainees who were there for sometimes as long as three months, six months detained waiting to hear about their prospects um, and being, you know, um, so mm -hmm. it's it, it is a, a somewhat sad story around that station. But what is interesting is I have a lot of friends in California, and I've often asked them when I started doing this research, have any of you been to the Angel Island Immigration Station? And of course, none of them have even heard of it. 
it, so it's, it's fascinating. It, it's, not, it's not the pride it's, of California the way Ellis Island is in New York. Yes. Okay, it's, it's not a tourist thing that you go and hear all these stories. It's not it's all, part it's of the of, narrative. It's sort of uh, an embarrassment. This image is very interesting because the caption, this image of uh, Indians coming, the caption says that they were greeted with pamphlets from the Christian church. <laughs> so, so the government gives them a hard time, detain them and give them this third degree. And the Christian church says, we are the good cops, here is the leaflet, leaflet and all that stuff. Yeah. So that, this is good savvy business, good cop, bad cop. So they're going to be, you know, turned back, given, yeah, given a hard time, but in the meantime, they're being, you know, given, yeah. And, and well. here is a nice photograph of uh, some men on Angel Island, nicely dressed and all that coming yeah. from India. And when we think of Indian immigrants, you know, Rajiv, we always think of the immigrants after 1965, the doctors, the techies, the professors. Um, but then here you have it, you know, people <coughs> who really, came, the working class who also Yeah, and, when, and it's very interesting when America is so proud of being a land of immigrants and they talk about Ellis Island and a lot of Europeans coming and so on. The blacks have claimed Black History Month, February is Black History Month and they want to write their history of what they went through. Mm -hmm. But you know, we, we haven't done that for ourselves. We haven't claimed uh, an Indian history of, within America, which really documents all the struggle that we went through. Yes. And th this picture shows a group of six in 1910. And it, it, when you see these images, what, what struck me is I felt that, you know, Indians can claim to be far more interwoven into the tapestry of this country. You know, this is a nation of immigrants and here we are like other immigrants, you know, looking for a better life. It's just kind of nice to see that, that, our, that our history is deeper in this country than we thought. To help me, you can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajimalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. If you are in a foreign country like in the US or somewhere, you can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.